This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all new, better than ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Continued Flyers success. Absolutely incredible uh, couple of games here for the Flyers. And we have a very, very special guest to start us off here on Orange Backcheck. Let's start it right now. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. All right, this is episode 167 of Orange and Back Check, and we are delighted to welcome an absolute legend in the sport of hockey and one of the winningest American goalies in NHL history, a career spanning 20 years, including right here in Philadelphia, the New York Rangers, Florida, all over, and currently the Assistant Executive Director of Hockey Operations for United States Hockey, the one and only John Van Riesbrook. John, welcome to the Orange and Back Check Show. We are delighted to have you. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, we talked about it right at the start, uh, right before we hit record. I mean, this has been a world of success, both men and women's uh, teams under the for the women's under-18 team, winning worlds, uh, gold medal, two years removed from the last time the men's won it in 2021, or excuse me, three years. Um what what's what's your thought process and how that uh, led up to that moment? What uh, the, that kind of success? Well, I think you know we we have a good process. Um, we collectively get together with a, a group of people, and uh, our summer selection selection camps are are really good, both men's and women's. Uh, we take a big group, we narrow it down, um, and then we. You know, the selection process right now in the United States is we're fortunate to have a lot of great players to choose from. So, I mean, I give all the credit to the people in the field that are helping us. Uh, We have a great deep bench of coaches. Um, But, you know, we're a grassroots organization, so I I don't want to go any further without saying thank you to all the people, whether in Philadelphia or wherever they are, getting on the ice with our young players to teach them this great game. I mean, we Oh, a debt of gratitude. And that's really where our, our game grows the most. So what speaks to that success is this is now seven straight years of a podium finish for United States men's hockey. What does that kind of success, as you spoke to, like you're able to do these grassroots, but when you see that sustained success, how does that translate over the next 10 years, 15 years or beyond uh, in your eyes? Like, do you hope to see... Obviously, at the Olympics, there's been a gap in in the success really since 19. I mean, obviously, you haven't medaled since um, 1980, unfortunately. But like, you see the progress growing, so you're hoping to see something translate. I'm sure. But speak to the future as you continue to see this success at the junior level. Well, the future's bright. Um, 
you know, how you win uh, at the most important times is, is really a credit to our coaching and the way that we've adapted to the game worldwide. Uh, we're not just a dump and chase country anymore, and we're not following um, our friends north of the border and what they do. We're creating different ways to win. And so when we get to a tournament, we have a plan, we have a procedure, we have an identity, but most of all, we have an expectation and our expectations to win. And that's our job. That's my job is to make sure that we're focusing on what our identity is, who we are and what we're doing and the best representation in the United States. And, you know, I mean, I think that everybody in our country has grabbed hold of this game and they love it. They love it live. They love it on TV. They're growing more in tune with it. We're getting players from all over. Uh, the country. We had four players from the state of Florida. I'm very proud to say that um, expansion works down there. And, yep. you know, I mean, having four players from that state on a gold medal winning team, I, I, I don't think it back in the mid 80s or 90s when we started there that anybody would have said this would be the fruit. But it is. And now we can talk about players like Austin Matthews from Arizona and different you know, when they get into the National Hockey League, we're seeing them be the best players in the league. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, let me ask you as far as like how from like your playing days and when you were coming up through uh, through juniors, how much has USA Hockey as a whole improved, uh, you know, coming back from, you know, 20, 30, you know, even 40 years ago? Yeah. Well, the number one way is our national team development program. Without a doubt, when that was started back in the mid-90s, Everybody thought it would bomb, and it's been the greatest piece of success in the history of putting players in the National Hockey League. I believe at this point today, maybe 96 uh, NTDP players are playing in the National Hockey League. Um, when I played and coming through the U.S. system, that didn't exist, and you had to wait a long time to get a college commit. Um you had to go to some type of junior program. For me, it was major, and that was the only route. Now we have created um, so many routes. The United States Hockey League is a fantastic league. Uh, we're a college-bound country, and it is having a profound impact on the NHL. The best players are coming through college hockey now. And, you know, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, kicking anybody in the shin when we say that. I mean, but we're opening up the gates for more players to have great routes, not only to get an education. Um, there's some great coaches all over the place, but to have all the schools now that we have at D1 and I would, you know, it's a long winded answer to your question, but those are the reasons that we're having such success. And, and, and I'll be, and I, and I, I can, I know what you mean, and I, I'm fine with the long-winded because I'm be honest with you. I, you know, I'm, I was a USA hockey coach for a while, as far as like you know, lower level doing, you know, you know, using the uh, packets, the small area games, and you know, having that structure that USA hockey provides is such a profound impact because you really, instead of just you know having old school sheets with drills and running, you have actually a whole platform of okay, this is the best thing to do to get these kids going and getting into it. And it's a really, really great structure, and it really builds that foundation from that. So I, you know, we get kudos to USA Hockey and, and yep. the entire team of yours that they really 
have a good foundation of know how, where the kids need to start and how they get up to that level eventually. I'll add one thing to that. And that is on the international front. Um, and that is, I, I played with a player who's now living in Portugal and helping Portugal hockey get off the ground. And he plugs into our CEP training in order to get his levels to be approved. And it's, it's amazing that it's having that international effect that they can actually plug in at no cost, just get on, get approved, get your level. And then when you go out there on the ice, you just feel like you're so much more prepared. And that's a credit to our ADM coordinators, our Bob Mancini and, and those who are putting our coaching education together. And it's had a profound impact. You know, I, I always look at, uh, you mentioned the international level, and the NHL has really expanded its international reach. A couple of years ago, the Flyers themselves, I believe it was Finland. They were out in some of the Scandinavian countries. Like, the NHL's model is just trying to grow. Obviously, the big four sports here, they unfortunately are on the lower tier of it. But as they expand internationally, what is the, how does that look to you in terms of what has the NHL done a good job? Do you think they need to do a a little bit more outreach, but is it kind of one of those things where they're just dealing with the hand that they're dealt with and making Gary Bettman and, and company are doing what they can? Well, I mean, just this year alone, their global series hit, you know, profoundly, I would say in Sweden, you know, when you grow up in Sweden, um, because of the offset in time, they aspire to play in the Swedish hockey league, the SHL. Most people think they watch the NHL, but because of the times, they don't get a lot of chance to, to watch. They know the NHL. They aspire to the NHL, but they actually watch the SHL. It's the same in Finland. So when we get these great Swedish players and Finnish players that are coming into our league, into the NHL, I should say, I still call it our league. But <laughs> when they come into the NHL, they they are so happy to get this opportunity that they have long, you know, watched. They know Boreas Salming. They know Yari Curry. They know the legend of the NHL. But when we go and reach them, when our, our teams go to their land, they get it's so exciting to see because we get to do that every year at the World Championships and we see the the fervor for hockey at that level. But when you see the NHL level and the impact it has and the you know the pace of the game. It's a it's a surreal crowd. Um, we saw that over in Australia, you know, the Logan Cooley goal and, you know, the impact that that has. And it's a great sacrifice by the NHL to do that. I mean, it's tough to get teams to go there. These are games that matter. And at that time of the year, you know, because it's a long year. So I think that they're they're really helping everybody out. Um, across uh, the board, but not only from just an on-ice product, but an off-ice product. I think that, the, you know, when you can cross-market the way they're doing, it's brilliance. Um, the NHL is a brilliant organization. They've come a long way. I have nothing but, you know, compliments for how they do things. Everything's first class. Obviously, as you can tell by Scott's background, my background, we're Philadelphia uh, uh, through and through. Um, and that's why we started this, because we thought that the Flyers podcast, obviously the team was a little bit down when we started back in 2019, 2018. From your perspective, obviously you spent a little bit of time here in Philly over the course of your 20 years. You played against them when you were in, in on the Rangers, obviously. 
from a 30,000 foot view, and we'll get into the specifics of your career, but just like from a 30,000 foot view, what does the Flyers look like to you today compared to when you were when you were uh, there? I'm Obviously, I don't anticipate you to have too much a connection, but maybe you do and uh, can expand on it. Well, I mean, um, the NHL is a tough league right now to have success in, especially when you have to manage contracts up against the hard cap. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- what I say here is not easy peasy. You know, this is difficult. But I think they hired the right coach. They got torts and he's doing a fantastic job. He's probably the coach of the year to this point, without a doubt, in my view, because of where he's taken a team. And a team that had to rebuild an identity. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. Everybody thinks, oh, you just have to rebuild your identity. That's a tough thing to do inside a locker room and mm-hmm. and believe in what you're doing. So I believe that they've been masterful at that. So credit to towards his staff. And, you know, I, I like Jonesy, <laughs> he's one of the best in the game. So uh, I love his demeanor. I think he's the right person to to lead the franchise. I think they needed a piece of personality, and, and they got one. Um, I love the guy. I, I you know, Danny Briere. I mean, um, he was in a tough spot. You know, taking over for Flet from Fletch and being an assistant, and you know, it's just a tough spot to be in. But he's handled it well. Um, yeah, they're going to face some difficulties. They've already faced that. You know, not to get into in the cutter in that situation. I mean, you're going to face situations with personnel, with contracts. It's it's part of the deal. You know, for people to get carried away on it, it's just it's part of the business, and you move on. So, agreed. But I I I think they're doing doing a fantastic job. And if I had to pick them today to say this is the biggest turnaround in hockey, it's the best story. It's the biggest turnaround. My affinity for it is I've always respected the Flyers, even when I was in New York. Um, and I, they, they've been a great organization. Um, obviously, I knew them under the Ed Snyder days, and they were a family organization. But I, I think they're the centerpiece. When, when the Flyers are good, the NHL is good. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where I come at it from. It's funny that yeah. So actually, in, in a, a lifetime ago, it feels like now Scott and I actually worked at the local radio station ninety four WIP. So we've had many interactions with Jonesy at that level, <laughs> and to like get him to the point where he is now, it's kind of like a surreal situation. Like really, like that. It, and he's so smart. Like immediately as soon as you he's, hired him, obviously he did the NBC stuff. Like he yeah. has his hit fingers in all thirty two NHL teams. Yeah. But like. <laughs> you met him at the national at that radio level as we did, and you're like, "Wow, that's a hilarious turn of events." But it also makes sense because of the the circumstances that you know that he can he can pull off, like the cutter situation. Obviously, that's yeah. not an easy one, and I don't know how in depth that you could go into it, but obviously that left a sour taste for us here in Philly. Um, and it felt you know, like they I, were. Just I don't like, want to interrupt you there, but I I would like to say to you and to everybody. Um, don't take it personal. I know this, it's become right. personal. Cutter's a wonderful kid. Um, he's just getting started. I mean, I played with Eric. Eric's a wonderful guy. They took a personal with him. Yep. He gave all he had when he was there. 
and guys are truly wanting to give it all they have. Um, I don't believe it's a factor of he didn't want to be there. There's certain things that are, you know, you can't ever figure out. Sometimes you just can't ever figure them out and you just have to let them go. They got a great player in Drysdale. There's no doubt. They got a good pick. You move on. It's it's the way it is. Cutter's going to be a superstar in the game. There, there's no yes, doubt yes. about it. But mm-hmm. there's always free agency. Why? Don't close the door. That's what I say yeah. in this business. Don't ever close the door. The guys that have left on Sour, you know, he's not the first person that's left Philly that to come back and help them win a championship. Don't ever close a door in professional sports. I mean, because when you do, that means that you're the one closing the door. And I, I just, you know, it, it sports happen so fast, careers happen so fast, and you need to win championships. You need every piece that you can get. And at some point, this stuff comes around. <laughs> And yeah. you got another opportunity and you need a player and that player is going to be available. Don't ever shut a door, but I understand the hard feelings. Um, but I'll, I'll just say this, that flair flyers are great. They made a decision. Cutter's a great kid. People got to move on. Agreed. I like, I, I, I can't agree with you more. I know that, you know, as a as a a Philly fan myself, you know, you have to kind of most fans don't have the ability in the city, you know, unfortunately, to take a step back and kind of look at it from a wide angle lens. Like you said, it it's a business. So at the same time, like, you know, unfortunately, things like this are gonna happen. It's just that, you know, you you played here, you played in New York, cities like that, the big cities, they have a lot of pride when things like that happen. When things happen with athletes, a lot of people take it personally when they shouldn't. Yeah. And you know, they they like it's a like it's a knock against the city when that's not the case, you know. But you know, it, it kind of pivoting in on that, and that kind of leads me into a question I have for you a little bit about about your career, John, if I may. Uh, you know, yep. you, you're you're an NHL legend. You know, you're drafted in 1981 by the Rangers, but, you know, went to Sault Ste. Marie, you know, played there for a long time. And then, you know, 1993, you're 30 years old, you know, and you get you get part of you get you get part of the, you know, Bobby Clark picks you in the expansion draft to go to Florida, a brand new team, brand new market, you know, at, 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 at a, a place that really didn't know hockey that well, you know, going there beforehand. How were you able to like kind of process that and, and kind of like say, okay, I have a new opportunity here, dive in head first, basically as their franchise player? Well, I think the words that you used, new opportunity, are the greatest words in sports to players. I mean, they're they're big time. Uh, whenever you get a new opportunity, you know, one name comes to mind right now that's a present name in the in the in football is Mayfield, right? Baker Mayfield, new opportunity. All of a sudden here you are, right? So don't underestimate new opportunity uh, to motivate. Uh, For me, I was 30 years old at the time and, and, you know, became that, uh, I I would say a cast off because expansion, that's what you feel like, you know, you feel like you're on the minnow and you're, you're going to the Island. Right. But the, the, the part with that is also you're part of creating an environment that nobody else was there at the ground floor to create. So that's a special environment. So you take that very personal. However, you know, it was Florida. It wasn't like it was, you know, another place that people knew hockey, even though there's a lot of New Yorkers, there's a lot of uh, Philadelphia people down there. So they knew it, and but it's they're always cheering for the other team. <laughs> so you had to build a <laughs> solid environment and, and then hopefully you can have some success. But I think 
when I look back, you know, I, I get asked a lot of questions, especially recently with with uh, Florida's success last year, going to the finals and whatnot. And people want to talk about the rat and things like that. But we <laughs> had we had some really good character people. Scott Mellenby, former flyer and a real strong, you know, character. Um, Brian Scrudlin, kind of in the same mold, real strong character. Tommy Fitzgerald, now the general manager of New Jersey, very strong character. And then you start adding some young pieces. That's how you build. And it's no different today. The, you know, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights built, you know, a team that has not been bad <laughs> at right. all, but they did it right. with strong character guys. They added to them. And I think that it's a, you know, like, it's everything that Philly's probably looking at today you know, of how to build a, a strong team. Obviously they've made some really good deals, you know, Owen Tippett's turning out to be a fantastic move for them. And, you know, there's pieces that you have to put together, but I mean, you also have to have strong character guys. And um, I mean, personally, you know, when the Florida piece under Bobby Clark, and Bill Torrey, and we had some great leadership, Roger Nielsen, great coach. Those are the things that people identify with and, and believe in at the end of the day. And that's that, that I'm glad you brought up, you know, like Ed Jovanovsky. I, you know, it, it's funny. And I, I was actually getting in hockey around in 95, 96, you know, when that, yeah. and that whole thing came along and you guys made that run to the final in 96 as a Panther, you know, I, I'm always been curious, you know, you know, I understand like, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it, you get the, you, the locker room gels together and everybody gets, you know, uh, it, everybody gets going and you get momentum and stuff like that. But, you know, you, you took you know, that, especially, you know, game four against Colorado, they, that was the, a grind of a game, a three overtime game. Tell me, you know, it was the, um, it was, I'm sorry, it was the Bruins in five flyers in six, you know, penguins in seven. And then you go to the final, tell me how like that, like, if you could describe that in you know, a couple of words about your, like, you know, how would you describe that ride? Like to, to somebody like saying like, you know, if you're looking back now, you know, you know, 25 years later, how would you, how would you look back at that and kind of explain that part of the, of your career in that run? Well, it, it's, uh, it was unexpected, which is good. I mean, we, you know, people ask about similarities and when teams get into the playoffs late and they have to make it that, that team, we were struggling there at the end of the season and had to win some games to get in Florida, very similar last year. I think they were the last team to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You're desperate. You're playing that desperate way. You, you know, there's no comfort. Every game's a playoff game. And I think that's what probably helped propel us the most is that we had that mentality that every game was a playoff game kind of team because you know, we weren't going to outscore you. You know, we weren't going to win the 5-4 game as much. We didn't have the firepower of Pittsburgh or Philly. But if we got you in the 2-1 game, watch out, right? Because mm -hmm. we could win that game. And and I think that that's, you know, that was the history of that team. And it is the history of most of these teams. You know, you look at Boston right now and some of the teams that have been really good. I mean, they can win the 2-1 game. Uh, Philly's winning a lot of uh, low-scoring games now. I mean, right. they got great goaltending with Carter Hart. And, you know, I, I just think that when you feel like you can win that game, you know, you make believers out of everybody. And when you get into a series, you only have to be one game above 500. Right. And and right. that's not a tall ask. It's just be in it all the time. And 
we had everyday guys that wanted to practice every day. They wanted to practice hard every day. These are the types of things that add up over a period of time that really are the glue. The guys that don't want to practice hard every day and they, they want to take a week off. Or you, you ever notice when they when, when a team rests a player, he never gets back to what he was? You know, yeah, they, because yeah. it's just it's a bad recipe, even though it's the right decision to rest a star player. They never get back to that streak that that they were on because they're everyday guys. And that's what sports are. You know, take a couple of days off. You get a little itchy. You get, you know, like you get comfortable. It, it's not a comfortable game uh, to be in it all the time. And, you know. I know that there's excuses to be made for all teams and. You know, like you look at things and how did the room go bad? And, you know, I'm obviously it's resonating this week in Philadelphia and football and all that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, nobody's got, a, you know, the, the chemistry lab out that can pour in the serum. You know, it's just not that way because right. winning is the hardest thing to winning again is remembering what you did last. <laughs> so exactly, it better be habit formed and, and crusty and edgy. And that's when you kind of put things together when it's soft and, and not hard. It's, it's, you're never going to win this team that won the world championships. I think we only lost two periods. This team didn't want to lose a period. They didn't want to lose a shift. I mean, it was incredible how good this team got in a short period of time. And it adds up to a gold medal. When you get to the end, you're like, Oh, wow. We're at the end of this. I I don't really want to go home because this is good. Right. (laughs) But, you know, when you get to tournaments, it, it became edgy for us against Finland, and we had to have, you know, guys that can execute pull us through. And it's it's in that moment when you're looking to those guys to execute. And when you guys when you have the guys that can execute, so when you're talking about a game four, you're in triple overtime, and you have the guys that can execute, you'll win. And I, I remember back to a five-overtime game in Philly, uh, Brian was playing in that, and we had a great team. And that five overtime game, I think we were eating pizza in the locker room in between periods. I was so hungry, I was like, "We end this already." But the thing is, is that you know Keith Primo scores the goal, and it was fantastic. But that was a great hockey team. I actually believe that team was as good as any Stanley Cup winning team ever. And we didn't win, but boy, did we have a great team. And it's just, you know, you need the breaks. You need to be that edgy. You, you need to be on the edge all the time. And, you know, that's what makes up expansion teams. And and I believe that's kind of what made, made up my career. I just didn't want to give in ever. Even when I wanted to give in and say, that's enough, you just don't want to ever give in. Well, that's why you retired and then came back the next year, right? <laughs> exactly. 2001, 2002. I got an opportunity. <laughs> Correct. You're right. You know, and and I want to kind of just, you know, uh, if you know, I want to ask about your your time in Philadelphia. You know, in in 1998, when you were a free agent, you know, Mike Richter's available, Curtis Joseph's available, you're available. You know, there's um, you know, there there's like a, everybody's going for for you three. You know, I know Roger Nielsen. You know, you you were you had he had coached you a couple times. You know, and, and in New York and in Florida, and he was a big proponent of yours. What was it ultimately that you decided to come into Philadelphia and and um, why why the Flyers over you know other opportunities that may have been out there for you? Well, as I said earlier, um, I mean I always loved I respected Philly uh, big time. Um, I don't even think it was a decision for me uh, to say 
maybe it was just mm-hmm. yes and my time was in florida was done i knew that i i i knew i had a lot left in the tank and you know i was applying it i was in good physical condition and it was just a matter of of getting to a team that could win i just wanted to play for a team that could win philly was the best opportunity at the time and we had a great team um and you know i i I often think back to our series, believe it or not. I mean, it's probably going to be wild for people to think that I think about this often, but our series with Toronto, because um, Yannick Perot's uh, son um, was on our our world championship team, our world junior team, yeah, uh, Gabe Perot. So I see Yannick a lot, and I'm like still remembering the backhand goal that he scored in overtime, and I'm like, that was a terrible goal. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is th- these are the things that stick with you for a long period of time because we were a better team than Toronto. We shut them out in the first game, you know, made a save because um, there was a penalty shot in the game, preserved the 2 nothing win. Mm-hmm. We go into game two and we were a minute away from our second shutout and they tied the game late. Steve and Thomas. then we kind of lost grip on the series a little bit. And, like, we actually thought we'd – you know, I, I was thinking, you know, what did we actually think? We're going to win four straight, you know, but w- what happens in series, like I think, you know, when you look back, I had a 9-4-2 in the series, 1.4 goals against. Which is still the top of the Which is still the top of the We lost six games because of timing of goals. And, uh, you know, I don't look at the 9-4-2 or the 1.4 goals. I look at losing. And I, but I also I always I will never forget that series because we we were the better team we couldn't score when we had two in overtime we had like ten chances versus their two and Cujo was good in the OT but that's just the way things go but when it goes to being selected by Philly as a, and a great opportunity it was not even a question of of yes or no. And, and, that, and let me ask you about the following season, because, like, you know, you guys got off to a little rough start, 05 and 1. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, that was the season where, you know, Roger had uh, been diagnosed with cancer again. You know, it was uh, Craig Ramsey taking over. You had the Rod Brendamore trade, Eric getting the C-strip. The C you know, I know you talked about it a little bit. You know, I remember that team vividly. That would team just, you know, the five overtime game. That team was just, it was an emotional roller coaster that season. And at the same time, you know, towards the end of the season, Brian Boucher starts, you know, uh, taking over more starts for you. Uh, you know, you you had kind of been in that position before a little bit with Mike Richter splitting time and then later on, you know, kind of mentoring Rick DiPietro. And, you know, talk about how like, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a situation like that, how, how, how did you like help support Bush in that situation? And, you know, it, do you believe that like it's it's beneficial for a young goaltender to have a veteran like someone like yourself you know, giving them that support or, or pushing them as they need to, if you could talk a little more about that. Yeah, that, I mean, season starts and, you know, those are, <laughs> I'd like to say that I remember all of that, but I, I don't, but I do remember that we got into a groove and we were really good again. So, but, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, who's going to play and all that stuff, you know, I think that Bush got called up, you know, in January, ended up going like some crazy numbers. I don't know what he was, 18 and two or something, had a great run. 
And then I was in support of Bush. Uh, you know, we were competing hard. Uh, I played good down the stretch, probably should have started in the playoffs, but there's this theory over there uh, out in hockey land of playing a young goalie, like calling him up in this Ken Dryden theory that this is going to go great. I don't personally aspire to that theory because (laughs) it only happens once and the person's Ken Dryden, you know, I can't, can you name another goalie that it happened to? Not too many anyway, but I was all for it because the team was all for it. And I wanted to support Bush and Bush and I, you know, we had uh, his son Tyler on our team last year. We won a bronze medal and, um, Bush and I often talk about that. He's he's always like, Bees, I, I said, you know, like I really needed you around me. And it's been always been a good conversation. The, the thing is, is that this is what helped us win because we we trounced Buffalo. Mm-hmm. We lost our first two games to um Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. And they they, you know, I thought that they were gonna turn to me. And at that point, uh, a behind the scenes conversation is don't change now. You know, it was basically mm-hmm. what I said. Otherwise, you're going to lose a kid. We may win a game, but then, you know, if you lose a game, you're going to be like, who do we play next? It'll be a, it'll be a controversy. And in Philly, everything's a controversy. So the, that wasn't probably the best way to handle it. And then we won four straight, and we were fine. And we had a great series against New Jersey. I actually thought we were going to the Stanley Cup to play Dallas or whoever was in it at that time. But the point was, is that was the right decision for the right time. And, you know, when, when I look at it, I thought that, yeah, I could just help Bush then the next year and be a part of that. And that's what I wanted to do. And I started to hear, you know, rumblings about this kid from Czechoslovakia that they wanted to sign this Roman Czechmanic guy and all the rest of it. He would won the world. But the point is, is that never, that didn't go down well for Bush and, and the mentoring process, because there is a lot in, in the game now. I, I believe it's switched over to the goalie advisor coach. You know, we had Reggie Lemelin at the time who was great with us. But, mm-hmm. you know, actually the coaching probably came in the mentoring process more than the coaching process at that time. Now it's a lot different. Today is a lot different. There's a lot more video reads. The game's played a lot differently. But. For that time, it was I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I don't regret any of it. I loved it. Um, even when I got moved, I totally understood. And Clarky called me and said, "Hey, you're, you know, we moved you to the island." Uh, the big, most disappointed person was my wife because she loved Philly and South Jersey so much that she didn't want to leave. Yeah. That you know, and that 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 you know, that's it's a thing. Is like you know, I I remember John when you when you played here and you know, throughout your career and everything, and you know, going to the Islanders, you know, you you were there, and it was kind of the same situation with with Pietro. And then towards the end of that season, you get flipped to the Devils, where you find yourself yeah. back in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final again, uh, you know, and then ultimately retire uh, after after that ended. Um, can you talk about your experience, like, you know, having that one last opportunity, what made you retire the first time? And then what, what made you, what made you come back the following year? Cause I tell you, I, I, you know, a lot of people were, I was, you know, those are quite surprising to be like, Oh, John Van Beesbrook's back in the league after, you know, a, a, like a five month, six month hiatus. Well, uh, <laughs> the, the easiest way to, to say this 
again, is um, I got an opportunity. But the reason I retired in the first place, when we went to the finals, you know, every, everybody got exhausted. I thought we were going to win. We were, I think, up 3-1 in the series or something like that. And, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to win a Stanley Cup. And I probably should have, I probably should have stayed um, after I came back and stayed the following year because the Devils won. But mm-hmm. the the what led to the retirement was just it was time to move forward um, with other things, family things, uh, things that I had on the go. But you know, my my father in law started getting sick, and and there was a, a you know gravity there to get get home and, and, and be close to, to him and the family there. So, so much was, has been given to me by my wife and, and, our, and that side of the family that I, I kind of owed it to him. That was really why I retired in the first place. And then the Olympics happened and I went to, you know, I got a call and said, Hey, come to the game in the Island. I went there met with Jacques Caron and Lou and Jacques called me and said, Hey, what about coming back? And, and I was like, really? You know, and then an equipment manufacturer, John Brown, who did my equipment, showed up in my driveway. I'm like, wait a second. This is this is too convenient. You know, why are you what are you doing here? And then he's like, Well, I just, you know, I've got some new stuff. I just want to show it to you. And then before you know it, I was driving across, you know, cross town traffic all the way back to New Jersey to practice. And the first practice, my gosh, I was so out of shape. And I came home and just went right to bed, but I could still do it. And I, I knew that I still could do it. My body was in good shape. My reactions were in good shape. And, you know, I ended up playing four games, won them all or whatever, uh, coming back and felt pretty good about myself. But I, I, you know, I always prided myself on being a good guy in the room. At least you try to be, uh, even though when you're getting prepared for games, you, you know, guys got to know you're ready and had an approach to the game. But, you know, when the locker room is one of the funnest places in the world for the athlete, it's the safest mm-hmm. place. It's the place you can joke the most. It's the place that you have the most fun with a bunch of guys. And I wanted to keep that going. And I still look back on that as some of my favorite times in, in the sport or in the locker room with your teammates and getting ready to go and and go bash heads. Yeah. You mentioned John Brown, your your equipment guy, and see the thing is, I, I I'm a goalie myself, so like I, I have to ask you, just as a total go, a total hockey nerd and a total goalie nerd, uh, obviously I'm pulling out stats from '99, 2000 straight from my head. Uh, what John Brown? You were like a staple in using John Brown gear for the longest time, and you know I, I that and your mask, the armadillo mask with the with the straight bar cage. How particular are you about your gear, and why did you stick with those for so long, despite the fact that, you know, there were different innovations, like, you know, Vaughn was coming out, like the Velocity Series, you had yeah. Bauer with the Reactor Series, um, you know, and I know that, you know, I believe around the time you were also a part of the equipment, the, the symposiums the NHL was having in the late 90s yeah. and stuff like that, you know, why, why you, I, obviously probably loyalty is a part of it, but how particular about your gear, and, and what was it that John Brown did for you that, that made you stick with him for so long? Well, number one is probably consistency. Um, you know, it's a lot different today where guys pull their pads out of the box and wear them. Yeah. Uh, the consistency of how 
you know, they mold and shape. That used to be a big thing. It took you almost, you know, three months to break in a pair of pads. They were, they had to sit right, they had to feel right, and they had to mold right. So that was all what I saw in the custom part of the John Brown um, relationship that we had. Uh, his chest and arm are still probably a staple out there, and and those really helped a lot. So I, I just felt comfortable and consistent, and that's probably it. I mean, when you get into manufacturing anything, if you can be consistent, just think of running shoes, you know. <laughs> Whoever yeah. makes the best yeah. running shoes is called Nike, right? I mean, so right. The, the, that's just a, a a consistency thing that people want to wear their Jordans, right? I mean, so that's the way it was with pads. It was, and it's hard to match that when you switch over. There's something that that feels wrong. As far as that, I, I needed a a helmet that was lighter and felt like, or a mask that felt like a helmet. And the Armadillo did that. It was light. It was Kevlar. It, and when you got hit in the in the face, it didn't ping and it didn't your ears didn't ring. Um, and people don't know this. I didn't want to have the snaps like they were to, like they are today. When the goalie gets hit in the face, the, that's the snap snaps off now and the goalie's mask flips over. I wanted right. to make sure that didn't happen to me. And there's ways of doing it now that it won't happen. I mean, that's a whole separate matter. But when it comes to safety with that helmet piece. I was kind of more of a geek on that and a um, little thicker um, padding, things of that nature that I just wanted to make sure that the head was looked after because that was a major piece of equipment that it took me a long time to switch from because first 10 years of my career, I wore helmets. And once you have a comfort and, and a safety factor, you don't want to change. I mean, I think Dominic Hasek wore that helmet forever yeah. <laughs> and never got on it for that reason because you know when you're when guys are driving in the net and you're diving all over the place and you're going to get a knee to the head i mean that's that's tough stuff and yeah, today absolutely. the game's not played that way the head is not on the ice a lot uh there's not a lot of two pad stacking and stuff like that so and, and, you know, because you mentioned the two-piece helmet that you used to have, you know, that the, the, you had to have the cat eye originally, and then you went over to the standard cage. Why were you? Why did you transition to that? You know, and when it was kind of going the other way, the the, the trend in the league at the time. Well, I, I'd like to say that I have all the answers to that. I'd say probably just feel in that sight lines, and once you get used to a sight line, and it works for you. I mean, I didn't even see the bars after a while, right? So oh, okay. That that's the big factor is most people think, well, all that stuff's in your way. You don't even see it after a while. It's not even an, an impingement. Um, so that that's just basically it is because, you know, when it's funny because I'll reference Connor Hellebuck because of his whole his whole eye thing that he's got going now, which is really cool because uh -huh. it's visual. And for, for goalies, it's vision, right? It's it's you have to the the. The goalie that sees the puck the best is usually the best guy in the game. And it's no wonder that he's doing all this eye training and he's the best goalie out there right now, uh, you know, statistically. And we can argue who is and who's not. But, um, you know, like that kind of training really helps. Agreed. Okay. Yeah, that, that and listen, and that's probably something that you probably worked on throughout your career as well. Like, you know, like, you know, a lot of the hand-eye coordination, things of that nature behind the scenes and everything. Um. Let me ask you this. Okay, so outside of playing back in your playing days, and you know, we won't take up too much more of your time. It, you had outside of the big names like Lemieux, Gretzky, Yager, you know, Burray, players of that era. 
what, what's some of the players that used to give you a lot of like trouble or guys who had like, you know, you had a hard time seeing shots come off the blade or, you know, guys like, man, that guy's just always a pain to play against. Like, you know, even though like, you know, he wasn't one of the bigger names in the NHL, so to speak. Well, I mean, this guy was a big name in the NHL. His name was Alexander McGilney. Um, oh, man. Remember McGilney. McGilney was one of the fastest darting player, and he can get on top of you so fast that you couldn't get set, and he'd slip one by you. So I would say probably McGilney. Uh, the second, and I think probably the guy that's the most unheralded, but he is a superstar in the history of the NHL is Pat LaFontaine. Pat LaFontaine was one of the best goal scorers and fastest players. And when you can drive the net and do what he did with the puck, like his finesse, the way that he drove, his quickness, and the way he shot the puck was probably, you know, and I'm talking about guys that I played with against mostly in the East. But if I'm going to rate one guy that was the toughest and probably the biggest snipe that nobody talks about, I mean, he's gotten a lot of recognition over the years, but I would say Timo Solani was probably the most craftiest. He could shoot off his toes. He was probably one of the best goal scorers that, you know, not doesn't get talked about, I would say, up there with, with Yager and Lemieux and those guys, but I would say Solani is one of the most crafty guys that ever scored. I mean, it's like it's not like he didn't score a lot. But, I mean, having played against the East, you know, you, you have a tendency to be more, have more of an affinity for the guys that you face the most. So we face the Islanders so much in Washington. And, you know, I, I, I probably should pick, you know, a good friend of mine, Mike Gartner, who had a, you know, who could fly. But it's the guys that really got on top of you the fastest. Um, and I, but I, McGillney, I could never stop. It was a pain in the butt. Um <laughs> And another guy that played for Hartford was Jeff Sanderson. Because, again, he got on top of you fast. And, um, you know, those guys that could do that and really wing it, you know. And then I had a chance to play with with Eric and, and Johnny LeClaire. And just trying to stop those guys in practice was was tough enough. But, you know, with Johnny, with his wild wedge and his shot, I mean, he – get the biggest piece that would come in. It's all wobbly all the time. There was no, you know, the unpredictability. I, I believe that if you asked other goalies, they'd probably say LeClaire because he never hit a, you know, he always hit a rolling puck. Okay. So kind of like kind of dips and dives and the, yeah, I know yeah. even, even in my, my beer league, you know, days, I can, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause it's kind of like, Oh, it's up here. Why is it down there? All of a sudden I, I understand where you're coming from with that. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned one goal that sticks in your mind, the Yannick Perot one. What's one save that sticks in your mind? It's like, wow, I can't believe I got that one. Uh, well, gosh, I mean, I don't want to say there were so many, but there were. But <laughs> the the, I mean, we beat Philly uh, in 1986, um, and they had a beast of a team, and I know that late in the game when we were, we were playing them in the playoffs and nobody had us beating them. Um, Brad McCrimmon took a shot from the point and went through traffic and somehow I gloved it. And I was, I even surprised myself. I'm like, thank goodness, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) because it was, it was going in and they, they were good at traffic in front of the net and they had such a big team and we beat them 
I would say probably that. When I look, when I watched the tape after, I was like, yeah, that that made a difference. And you know, we didn't do a lot of tape back then, and you'd have to wait, you know, for some highlight, and they never really got the highlight that you wanted to see. So, you know, we we grab the VHS <laughs> a week later and be able to watch a game, and. I, I would say that, you know, God rest his soul and beast, you know, um, but he was such a fantastic player. What a great defenseman. But I, you know, it was a slap shot from the point through traffic and somehow I gloved it. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, 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 John, I, I, I gotta, I gotta thank you, you know, on a professional level for, for, for taking the time out of your day to, to speak with us. Um, you know, and honestly too, I, I have to be honest with you. You know, I have to thank you on a personal level too. You know, the, the reason that your name is on the wall behind me is, is not a coincidence. So I don't know if you can say it, but cool. yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it until now. Yeah, oh, yeah. let's see. Bill was wondering how long would it take you to see that. I was thinking, oh, I'm man. shocked it took this long. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, you know what? Um, I saw 34, and I just thinking, oh, there's so many good 34s that you know. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, like I, I appreciate that, Scotty. I mean, the this is why we do. That's why we play is to like. I'm so proud of our teams now. Like we started the. The, at the top with with what I do and putting together teams and watching great players and being able to put them together and and just giving like I just get such a kick out of seeing our next great players come through. We have so many of them. I know we talked a little about Cutter and people are down on him or whatever, but I get to watch that all the time. And I'm so proud of of our country and and being able to influence players. My grandkids, they're asking if they can bring the gold medal to you know to their teams, and it's just. <laughs> It's just has such a great impact when you can impact and influence other people in a positive way. That's why this is the greatest game in the world. Like we do hockey is such a great community of people. Um, you know, and it's just a great day. Great to be in this business. I owe it. I owe it so much just to be able to talk to you guys about something I love to do. Recall some memories. This is fun. You know, this is what I need to do more of this actually, because yeah. it fills me with joy uh, just to be able to do this, you know, it, and that's the thing. And, I, and that's why I wanted to thank you personally for the impact, because, you know, it as as strange this may sound, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I don't think you realize the impact that you had on my per life personally. You know, when I was when I was 10 years old, as I mentioned at the beginning, I I was watching you uh, shut down Lindros and Leclerc in the 96 playoffs. And then I see your mask and it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a goalie and I want to be like John Van Beesburg. And here I am, John. I'm 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 38 years old, and I have a replica of your Flyers mask, and I That's have a, a replica, cool and a replica of your Panthers mask in my team colors. There so you, you know, and I I I honestly need to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart because you helped me. You helped me develop a lifelong love for the game of hockey, and I don't know if right. I had that if I didn't watch you play. And I'm I'm serious. So I I truly appreciate that. And you know, a while back I heard you say on. Chris Nyland's podcast that, you know, the, you needed the game of hockey more than eight needed you. And I, I, I have to say, I have to disagree with that because I know how much you inspired me to want to play goal and to still play at almost 40 years old and have the love for the game that I do. I can't imagine what you've done for other kids and other people out there just by being who you are playing the game and, and, and being a stand up guy as you've always been. So I truly need to thank you for that because, you know, it would, you know, it, it's, 
it's a huge part of my life. It'll always be a huge part of my life. I'm teaching. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, yeah. uh, two sons, and I'm teaching them how to skate now. I coached youth hockey yeah. for a couple of years, all that just because I love doing the game. Um, and I honestly have you to thank for that. And that's that's the God's honest truth, which is why your your, your jersey remains on my wall. So Thanks, thank you, John. Dad. Thank you. That's so cool. Appreciate that. All right, just an incredible time there with uh, John Van Beesbrook. Uh, hope to have him back on the show. I know, uh, Scott, you're smiling ear to ear. That was one of the coolest guests that we've probably had on this show, and uh, hope to have him back on soon. That was like a bucket list thing for me. No lie, like that. You know, it's not every day you get to to talk to a player that you know that legitimately like got you into the game of hockey, like. That I, I'm just I'm just I'm floored how how down to earth and how good like that conversation was like just, you know, it was like shooting the breeze with someone like at a bar or something. It was just really, really cool for him to do that. And, you know, we got to we got to We have to give John a shout out. Thank you to John again for coming on. We have to thank uh, USA Hockey um, and their PR team, Dave Fisher, to uh, help coordinating all this. This is something that's been in the works for actually a while. Um, and we need to thank all them for for making it happen. Um, simply because it's just it's 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 cool like it's cool to to talk and and reminisce about that type of stuff you know i know not every fan especially the younger crowd is going to know who john van beesbrook is but he played in the golden era of flyers hockey like the late 90s teams he was a you know opponent there you know that golden era of flyers hockey he was he was he was definitely a big part of because he was either playing for them or playing against them so um you know, hopefully, our you know our our listeners enjoyed that, and yeah, down the line, we hope to get more. You know, we're we got some we got some things in the works, Bill. We do, we got some yep. things in the works, but so we're we're trying to get more of uh you know, more say um appearances on on the pod with us. So yep, uh, we got some we got some irons in the fire that we'll share in the future when it's ready. And we haven't forgotten this episode, as always, is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. I hope you're taking the Flyers' money line on any one of these games coming up because they are on fire. Why not make uh, turn five bucks into two hundred right then and there? Take the Flyers. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now with the promo code THPN. New customers bet just five dollars on the NHL and get two hundred instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call eight seven seven eight Hope NY or text Hope NY four six seven three six nine in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Twenty one plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. NHL and NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the NHL. Hockey League, copyright NHL 2024, all rights reserved. Um, Hey, Scott, I don't know if you know this, and I just talked about it in the DraftKings read. The Flyers are for a lack of a better phrase, on fire. Uh, we talked about how the the goalies are 
some of the the best tandem right now in the NHL. I think Torts is hinting at who he's favoring. Uh, we'll get into that. Um, all of a sudden, Morgan Frost, after seemingly yelling at Torts, going, why am I not playing anymore? And he's now on the ice, is on fire. Owen Tippett has made some of the goals of the years in back-to-back games for uh, for the team. This team, now that the Eagles are out, this team has an opportunity to take a stranglehold on the city, and I don't think they are uh, letting that bypass them. I think fans are coming back, and this has just been a lot of fun. So, uh, five-game win streak. Let's see if it keeps going. Well, listen, Bill, let's put one thing in perspective here. Again, this is this is still a rebuilding team. Now, 100%. P- this is still a rebuilding team. Things are good right now. We told you ebbs and flows. They just got over an ebb. They're in a flow. They're in the peak right now. You know, there's chances are they have a chance to come back down. Um I'm not trying to knock that. I just, you got to stay realistic with this. I'm still saying they're going to win around to the playoffs. I still think that, yeah, you know, and the way they're playing right now, it's very possible. <clears throat> but I think what's sticking out to me right now is that I look at this and see that. Let me ask you this, Bill. How many times has Sam Urson allowed four or more goals this season? This season, I would say no more than twice. That would be accurate, okay? And when was the last time he gave up for at least four goals? I would, I would say probably like November, early December, because that's when he was a little bit shaky, and he's kind of settled into a groove here. October 28th. Holy shnikes. Yeah, so it's either been one, two, or three, or shutouts for him. And, and that's, that's the reason I say Urson is that because this team is just all around playing well, even 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 the the goaltending position, they're playing a a solid team game right now, and it's fun as hell to watch. Like the, look, we haven't seen a creative goal by some like what Owen Tippett did against Dallas the other night, in, in God knows how long. I don't even mean yeah. not since like, Tort said that himself prime. too. Yeah, Tort yeah. said that himself that he hasn't seen that goal and that that kind of goal in a long time. Yeah, like that's that's a that's a big deal. Like you know the talent is there. So like that's what we've been saying all along. Not to sound like a broken record. Like we know the talent has been there. This team has the ability to do things. Are they a Stanley Cup contender yet? No, but you're building the foundation of what a team needs to be, and you can only build and get better from here. And that's really, really promising right now that, you know, you generally find out where your team is at around around the holidays. Tortorella argues that it's the end of January. Well, we're closing on the end of January, and this team's won five straight. Yep. And they're in second place in the Metro. So, like, they have a 60% chance of getting in the playoffs now. That's saying something. On a team that a lot of people said in August should tank. I don't think this team is, has any reason to tank at all. They have enough young talent on this team where, yeah, it's, you know, they it's it's are they exceeding expectations slightly and the reason why i say slightly is because they're they're grabbing the city by storm because they don't have the eagles to grab onto they don't have the phillies to grab onto and i don't even know how the sixers are doing because nobody's really talking about them so like that's the point is that we haven't gotten into that winter sports scene yet because the eagle season just ended in here in philadelphia so the, the point is is that the, you're going to start seeing the Flyers now a little more of the glass of them, but people are looking and say, wow, they've been that good? Well, yeah. Yeah, you've been missing a lot, man. You're missing a lot. 
Yeah, and and you know what? Um, not to pour because I'm enjoying this season. I think we can continue to enjoy this season as best we can for the for the last set of games and plus the playoffs. However, I don't know if you saw this. It was on NBC Sports prior to I think it was the Dallas game. It might have been the game before. Um, Torts did an interview with NBC Sports Network Philly and said something anything along the lines of, uh, "We're still sticking to the plan." We are going to make moves at this trade deadline that are probably going to annoy some fans, um, but we are not falling in love with anyone on this team, which Correct. shocks me because I think there's some players that are they're falling in love with because they're here for the foreseeable future in their eyes. We'll see what happens. But I get his point. Like he, he's right. Um, I, I it is going to be weird because they're having sustained success with this current roster. But you also you don't want to be a Columbus from what was it twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen when you beat Tampa Bay in the first round right. as a as a second wild card and you just upset the Presidents Trophy team. You want to be the Tampa Bay Lightning the, that we've seen that won back to back cups with sustained success. And I think the old adage is, and we've said we, I we, I remember even saying it during um, the Hextall GM era. You don't want to sell today, or I'm sorry, you don't want to sell tomorrow to win today. And thankfully, they're not, it's seemingly, they're not going to stick to it, uh, or they're going to stick to that, where they're going to make the right moves to make this, hey, we're going to have this success and have fun with it as long as we possibly can. But we also know that we are severely lacking in certain areas that we need to address, and they're going to do that. So, um I'm not looking forward to the trade deadline in what two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. Uh, strictly because I know I'm going to get angry, but I have to like you have the fans especially have to stick to the plan of or stay to the focus of what they're trying to achieve uh, for this team, and that's sustained success and a Stanley Cup sustained success in terms of contendership. And I think anyone that is able to watch this team knows they're not Stanley Cup tenders today. And they're not going to be Stanley Cup t- contenders next year. We're talking about two or three years from now. And we've been saying two or three years for the last that's decade. That's the thing. <laughs> we, we have been. And look, I mean, you, you don't know. You don't know. Okay. So th- this is this is the argument I will I will push back on a little bit. Um, what have the Rangers done the last two years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're considered Stanley Cup contenders. Why? No, they just re- rack up points. They have more talent on their team. They have Mika yep. Zibanejad. They have Artemi Panarin. They've got solid goaltending. Igor Shosturkin. They have Adam Fox, who came and who stepped up. They have um, Jacob Truba. They have a lot of big names on their team. Um, you look at a team like Colorado, who won it a couple years ago. Um, they, they, you know, have like Nathan McKinnon. You know, they have Kale McCarr. Uh, but they had no names in gold. Like, you know, they had... They have some other like Andre Nachuskin. They have they have some other uh, uh, players like they have they had players that were there. The point I'm trying to make is that it, you you're only a contender by how well you play. And what I mean by that is that right now the the it, people should not look at this. Oh, the Flyers have a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. Okay, take a step back. If you get into a seven game series against the the Rangers, the, the Devils. The Penguins, you're, you know, Toronto, 
Like I hate to say Toronto, but because Toronto has no, a yeah, enough. the talent is there. I, they, they, I, they have they have the offense. They those yeah. teams have offensive ability where they those they have players that can execute. In, Here's the in thing, though. Situations. Here's my counter to that, and I think you might be even going to this. They just held what Torts called the best team in the NHL in Dallas to one shot on goal in the first, I think, twenty six minutes of play. That is utterly insane. To uh, like the fact that I said Correct. that out loud. One shot on net in 26 minutes. Correct. This is a defense. They shut out Winnipeg. They shut out, shut Winnipeg. out Winnipeg. This is a defense. This is a defense first team because of torts. Agreed. It can get weird in the playoffs. Agreed. Do, would I bet on the team on DraftKings that they would win the Stanley Cup? I don't even know what their odds are right now. I, I should look that up. No. Would I bet that they would beat, because right now they're in second place, so they would play um, Carolina, I believe. Would I bet that they would beat Carolina in seven-game series? You bet your ass I would. I think they can beat a Carolina, not handedly, but pretty uh, sustainably. It would probably take seven games to do it. Yeah, that's It'd what I mean. It probably take seven yeah. games. It probably yeah. would. Like, you know, like, I'm talking about when you were talking about a deep playoff run. Now... Listen, the way the East is shaking out, like you, you don't know, like stranger things have happened. But I don't think that this team is at a point where basically it comes it comes off of being a dead last team last year and going straight to the final. I think that this team has a trajectory that it needs to get to, kind of like that what Chicago did in the late two thousands. Because yes, although they had Kane and Taves, you know that they are looking to uh, get um, better, and not just that too. But for instance, if you're looking at the standings here, let's look at the wild card. So the Flyers are solid in second. You have Detroit in the first wild card. You have Tampa in the second wild card. You have Pittsburgh on their tails too. Pittsburgh's falling back a little bit. They're eight points behind the Flyers. They're they're at forty eight points. Do you call it them falling back or the? I mean, the we were talking about the Flyers are just winning. They're clearing hurdles. Like the Flyers are just putting padding between these. We talked about it because like. We talked about how they were at like a seventy, as high as a seventy-seven percent chance. Then it dipped to about sixty. Now they're flirting around seventy percent chance of making the playoffs again. Here's, with, but it's because not, of all the tightness. Yeah, but I'm not even talking about that. Like for instance, like okay, Washington, they're 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 third in the wild card of fifty points, and they have a minus twenty-one goal differential. Pittsburgh. <laughs> Great. We're over an hour yeah. in. The children yeah, yeah, are let yeah, loose yeah, into this yeah. podcast. Be quiet, Wyatt. My God. Anyway, so <laughs> after you an have hour, Washington- it's all uh, all hell lets loose it's, on yeah, this podcast. Yeah. So it's all. So they have you have you have Washington at fifty points, and you have with a minus twenty one goal differential, and you have Pittsburgh at plus sixteen with forty eight points. So that's what I'm saying is like Pittsburgh, and it's because they have a rough start, but at the same time, there's no reason that Pittsburgh should be behind Washington with that goal differential. So the issue that I'm seeing is that, yeah, teams are going to start turning the corner here a little bit and getting a little tighter and things like that. But the Flyers, it's wide open. It's wide open for the Flyers in the East because you're going to have maybe Detroit make the playoffs for the first time in a few years here. You have Tampa on the in the fringe looking outside in, you know, and then you have, of course, the Atlantic Division, which is, you know, Boston, Florida and Toronto, of course. So, but the Flyers have more points than Toronto and they have, you know, the most stupid payroll in the entire league. I'm just saying is like, I'm not trying to contradict my point. You have to see where this team is at the end of this year. And then you make your adjustments about what you're going from here. Okay. They're not going to go all in and try to be like, okay, we can go win a Stanley Cup next year. Okay. What pieces do we need to do now? Like, we don't want to hurt ourselves getting into a playoff spot, but what's more valuable to us? 
trading Sean Walker because we're not going to get anything for him in the offseason because he's a free agent and going to want too much money, and we get an asset back for him and have somebody step into his role full-time, how detrimental is that going to be to the team? A guy like Mark Stahl, who behind the scenes, I'm telling you, has been probably a really important part for this team, for this uh, young defense. Mm-hmm. And also, you had to think of Nick Sealer. Like Sealer, I know they like him. They know they probably want to sign him to another contract, and you know, to you know, long term because he's playing very well. Yeah, I saw but reports again, that said that they want to keep him around too. Right, but is he going to fetch you good value on the market? Yeah. And, and that's what the Flyers have to balance right now. I'm sure they, they have. I'm sure they have a, a a nice list of players that like we're moving them no matter what. Like whatever we can get, fifth round pick doesn't matter. We're getting rid of them. They have the fringe guys that's like, unless we're blown away by this, uh, we're keeping them, which are like the guys that are tenured, the Cootses of the world, the even the Hearts, right? because he's a RFA. Um, and then there's the guys that are like, we want to sign them, but if we get an offer that blows us away again in that scenario, yeah, we're going to move on from them because we can probably build something. It's all about the risk of what you want to take in this trade deadline. And they, the Flyers, have assets to be moved if they so choose to move them. And I think every Flyers fan should be fine with that, um, despite yeah. their feelings on, yeah. on the players. And here's my hot take. Not hot take, but I think Torts is a Sam Erson guy more than a Carter Hart guy. Like, almost significantly more into Erson. I, I, I think that... And I don't think that's a wrong thing. I think no, Hart's a really no, good player. No, I, 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 I agree with you. And I, I think from a, from a standing like this is that. So, Carter's had some some battled some some things this year. Battled some illnesses, a little bit of injury. Like you know, he's battled some of that stuff. Sam has been pretty solid after since the second game of the season. He's been he's been getting much better, and much better, and much better. I mean, you know, he's 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 played in 20 games, started 19 of them. And Carter Hart, you know, for this this year has just played in 29 uh, 25 games and started 24. So part of that's due to injury and stuff. That's why Urson's got a little more starts and they're they're riding, they're going to ride Carter Hart as much as they can. But now you have this two-headed monster and you you, you really both do. have him under control. Like, you know, you don't have to fully make a decision right now, but I think the thing is is that there's two parts of it. They they want it, they like the way Urson plays. He likes the confidence that Urson has. But again, this is part of development because you need Urson to play in order to see what he is. Am I sold on Sam Urson? No. I'm not sold on Sam Urson. Again, though, I'm a little bit biased because I also believe that because you can't look at a guy who's played such a smaller sample size in the NHL this year, yes. He's played 20 games, okay? Last year, he went 10-6-3 with the Flyers. This year, he's played in 20 games so far. I-, I need to see what he does, not over the course of a full season, but I need to see what he does in the next season as well before I'm giving him the reins. Here's my question, just for the fun of it. Um, and we can wrap on this because we're we're getting long. It's game seven, Flyers versus Carolina. Don't even ask. Yeah, you know my answer. You know my answer. Can we say it at the same time? Because I do think we were at the same one. Okay. One, one two, three. Carter, Carter Hart. Carter Hart. Yep. 
You're going Carter Hart. He's got the playoff experience. I, I'm yeah. sorry. Are you, are you, he's got the experience. He's a veteran at this point. You're despite going Carter my Hart. Fe- despite my feelings and thoughts that that uh, Torts does favor Urson right now, especially because and I, it, it's all speculation. I'm not like there's no. We're just reading the room here because Torts gives Urson the start against what he calls the best team in the league. Was it scheduled? Whatever. What is presented to me when he calls the team that they just beat 5-1 with their seemingly backup goalie and Sam Erson playing that game, I tend to think that Torts favors that guy. But like you said, playoffs are very differently. I would not be shocked if in a seven-game series, three wins for Carter Hart and three losses for Sam Erson. If, like, obviously there's not going to be a, a back and forth like that, but like in this, like, would not be shocked by that kind of scenario where <laughs> yeah. Carter just takes the, the he, he can't did, do that. I, but uh, thinking he, he out loud though, thinking out loud Boston though, did last year. Look what happened to Boston. Yeah. That's what happened to Boston last year. They went to Jeremy Swayman in game seven and they shouldn't have done that. And they lost. Yeah. They lost. You got to, st- you, the only time you don't put you any, can, you don't put any fear in that the playoff experience that Carter has is just in the bubble in 2020. No, I don't because I think he's had a wealth of games and being able to handle everything as far as what to expect. I think he's seen a lot more, and that's the experience you talk about when you're in the playoffs. Now, listen, I don't have an issue with this because I've seen this work in the past. If you're, it's a lot, just from my perspective, it's a lot simpler to go to a younger guy first and then to a veteran in a playoff situation. Meaning that if you're going to give Sam Merchant the shot and think he's earned it, and all of a sudden you find yourself in an 0-2 hole and we got to make a change here, guess where they're changing? They're not changing too much in the lineup. They're changing the goaltender. Yep. They're changing the goaltender as that R just lights up behind my head because I'm talking. <laughs> that was so <laughs> amazingly yeah, right? timed. Yeah, right? You know, <laughs> as the R comes up because I'm Hockstradamus. So the, the, the what happens here is that you give it to Urson, and you if you go back and look in history, there's a lot of situations where that has worked. Yep. When you go to the veteran, secondly, it had worked with Braden Holpe when they won the state when they have when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup in 2018. It worked with Cam Ward back in 2005. There's been other situations too where you change to another goaltender or the veteran, at like um, and uh, what's it called I uh, I think it was 2000 and uh, I have to think about it off the top of my head, but I have seen situations where you have a younger guy who's not quite there yet and not quite getting done. You switch to the veteran, all of a sudden they go on a tear, and and then I think even look at look at um look at Tim Thomas in 2011. Tuukka was that guy who wound up being a backup by the time playoffs were around. And next thing you know, you're you're going you're running with it. You, it's that that veteran presence is crucial, and I think that the the team is going to lean into that because at the same time you're also having Urson push Carter Hart, so uh, it's it, it it's all good, and it's like it's, it's speculation. But at the same time, I think the biggest piece that people aren't seeing out of this is that the team is still consistent no matter who you have in goal. So you can't put the goaltender just in the mi- under the microscope. It's the most important position. But teams have won with less. Yeah. Vegas won with Aiden Hill. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, no disrespect to Darcy Kemper. Like, but he won a Stanley Cup with Colorado on a stacked team. You, you, sometimes if you have a good team game, you can you can get away with average goaltending, and and that's what it is. 
you know what? I, I had to just before we go just to talk about what he was talking about there. You know, a lot of people don't realize that 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 series was tumultuous. Like that was a, you know, and he's right. Like to this day, John Van Beesburg is still the playoff, uh, the leader in playoff stats for for a goaltender in Philadelphia. And he played six games here. Yep. But the the point is, is like they had that game two wrapped, and then Steve Thomas scored. And then it was Matt Sandin who got the goal like 30 seconds later, and they went from winning one nothing to losing 2-1. It was brutal. Um, yeah, and they just never got the wraps back. I'll never forget game six in that series. It was Sergey Berezin. It was a nothing-nothing game with a minute to go in the third period. John LeClaire and Darcy Tucker get into it. LeClaire gets called for a penalty. Berezin scores on a power play with a minute left. Boom, fire season over. Like, it was like that, like that. So, and I can I can get it from a perspective why he would still think of that. Like, man, like that one goal, that one bad goal that you just like, oh, I should have had that one. Like that can deflate your team. So when I talk about things as a goalie and saying that's how it can deflate your team, you just heard it from a pro's mouth. Like, th- th- like that 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 happens. You had to take that stuff into consideration when you see momentum of a team. Yeah. So great insight on it. I love it. Just yeah. Need to say that. So thank you as always for listening and we will catch you next time. Who knows what the winning streak will be for the Flyers by then, but keep, let's keep enjoying it. It's all we can do until next time. Catch you later.